if you take one technician running 105 calls a month and 35 opportunities to sell new equipment, you might bring in $140,000 in equipment sales. But now if you take that 105 calls and you send them on 105 opportunities with equipment that's old, he can bring as much as $420,000 for that month just because you're sending the right man for the right job. Welcome to The Boost, a podcast for home service contractors. We explore leaders and innovators in home services, their personal journeys, thoughts, and experiences with growth, marketing, and succession. We cover the good, the bad, the ugly, and its ultimate impact. Hey everyone, Zach Wilson, Chief Marketing Officer here at Local. Welcome to The Boost podcast. So today we have JG Van Grand. JG and I met pretty recently a few months ago at a, a conference and hit it off. And so I thought I'd have JG on here today to talk mostly HVAC. And JG's been in the industry, I think, 25 years. Yeah, so let's just start. Isaac, thank you for uh, having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm one of those classic stories in this industry where the uh, industry picked me. I did not pick it. Born and raised South African. I came here when I was 17 with a suitcase and 400 bucks. And the first thing I bought was a Bruce Springsteen CD. So I just needed to let that out there. Went to college, got married, and was working on a horse farm in Bluefield, West Virginia. My wife, girlfriend at the time, was moving back to D.C., so I followed her. Started in construction a little bit, went back to farming, and we became pregnant with our firstborn. You know, you're working six days a week. Coming full circle, tapping back into your life, doing duct work, installing, to being a comfort consultant, to to now, to being in uh, technology sales. So not to get salesy, but this is a genuine question. What is Thermagred? How does that play into savings, efficiencies, et cetera? So there's two things Thermogrid does really well. Inventory management, we'll just start there. That's a big deal. And I'll tell you why. There's so much inventory in guys' trucks and in their warehouses that they are not always sure what they have. And, you know, unfortunately in this industry, we don't always have honest service technicians. And so there's a lot of side work going on. And it is staggering once you start adding up how many small capacitors, whatever, might be walking off the truck to fix a buddy's unit. Once you actually start putting an, an amount on that and you start actually tracking what you're losing as a business owner, it's insane. Um, we actually had a company that we were able to help with some inventory management stuff and he started just kind of gathering how much was going out before and how much less because as soon as the inventory management got on the phones and everything and, and everybody had to start checking things out of their trucks, it kind of put a stop to things just you know rolling out. And so he was doing a comparison year over year and the amount of inventory that walked away for him for several years was insane. So there's a big piece we can do to help that. And then within the software, we make it really easy. So when somebody goes out and say, for instance, they sell a system to a new homeowner, once that uh, proposal hits the software, the software hits back to the office, that can actually, we can set the software up to where it will actually email the order straight to the supplier or the vendor with instructions of when we're picking it up. So it helps make the office staff's job a lot easier. There's enough that they have to deal with with getting permits and everything else ready. So, but for a pull list or a pick list to be able to be sent to number one, the warehouse manager, and number two, you know, the vendor, that's very helpful. The other thing we do really, really well is dispatching, uh, smart dispatching. So within our software, we track certain KPIs, we track certain things that the technicians does in the field. 
uh, callback rates, uh, highest ticket averages, that type of stuff. So, and then we build a profile for each technician. So when the call comes in and the dispatcher sits down wanting to put the next technician up for bat, it will recommend the best technician to go to the job. It'll look at skill level. It'll look at callback ratios. It'll look at highest ticket averages. And it does, the algorithms run all that stuff through and then gives the dispatcher an opportunity to make a decision to send the best person to the job. And so I've done several webinars now and, and presentations on why companies tend to want to dispatch by location. You know, John is in the driveway here. Mr. Smith across the street called in. Uh, let's send him over there. And then that's okay. I understand. But you have only one opportunity to make a first impression. If John doesn't know how to work on that unit and he messes up, you got to send right. somebody back out tomorrow. Was that really worth it? I don't think so. So the other thing that we really look at in the realm of smart dispatching is you start dispatching technicians to jobs that they're really good at, right? So if I have one guy that's good at selling equipment, then I want to send him to every job that's got a 10-year-older system on it so that I can capture that revenue. There's a presentation I do that I have all the math laid out. You know, if you take, just for example, really quickly, and I don't want to bore you, but if you take one technician running 105 calls a month and 35 opportunities to sell new equipment, he might bring in 140000 dollars in equipment sales. But now if you take that 105 calls and you send them on 105 opportunities with equipment that's old, he can bring as much as $420,000 for that month, just because you're sending the right man to the right job. So for myself and everybody else, where does uh, where does this come into play typically? Is there a revenue number, a revenue target? Is it a personnel, a truck? You get a lead and you're like, yeah, this is a one-man operation. Like obviously it would be a good lead. Who's your um, ideal customer? That's a great question. For us, I believe everybody that touches a truck, one man operation to 25, 30 man operation should have software to help track the customer base and help do these things. So 65% of this industry is one to three man owned shops. I don't know if you knew that or not. So most of this industry That's is crazy. small contractors. I actually did yep. not know that. So we always see the bigger guys because they use marketing, right? But right, the smaller right. guys don't necessarily do that. But there's a ton of guys out there that is one to three man shops. So we gladly would help those guys. But where software really start paying off, in my opinion, is once you have somebody in the office, somebody taking calls, somebody booking and using the software accordingly. We would like to help everybody because we have several customers that's one to two man shops with the wife at the house using the software. For us though, to really get the value out of the software, a lot of times I like to think five technicians and up is really a good place because then okay. you can really start honing in on the smart dispatching piece and everything else. Yeah. I mean, that's that's smaller than I thought. That's for sure. I was kind of thinking that it was on the larger side, more enterprise, if you will. So then does it cap out anywhere? Also a great question. We have a customer that we service with 36 technicians and we do that seemingly. There's no issue there. So I don't think there's a cap necessarily. So Thermogrid went through a um, server change in the beginning of last year to where we switched to the AWS service, which is the service that Amazon owns. And it's the biggest, fastest service in the world. So our capability is there to do you know, a lot of things. I know there's some of our competitors in this space that will not talk to small customers. My opinion is I help you when you have one to two guys and you remember who I am when you have 10, 15 guys, right? So why don't yeah. we use the software to help you grow and answer these questions? There's a big part of uh, Thermogrid as well that does a lot of KPI tracking and helps with understanding what your business is really doing financially. Are you charging enough? That type of thing. And from the marketing piece, no matter if you have one or two guys, if you have 15 guys, you should always market as if you are a bigger company. I don't think that's necessarily dishonest. It's just making sure that we put the best foot out there. Yeah, I have yeah. trucks. I, I do pay my guys well, you know, that type of thing. Right. 
sounds kind of cliche, but you got to uh, spend money to make money. I mean, that's just the reality. I always say, you know, sweat too, but people always forget about, well, if I do, you know, X, Y, Z myself, then I can save this money. And it's like, yes, of course, but there's a time and money value associated with sweat, right? Like whether you do it or someone else does it, or you hire a vendor, an agency, or, you know, a SaaS company, someone's got to do it. The money's got to go somewhere. It's part of the cost equation for being a home service provider. And the job has to be done, whether it's your time, CSR, dispatch, technician, whoever, it's got to be done. And there's a cost associated with that time. So I have a quick question. I'm interested to see what your answer is. So what do you recommend? Say we have a company, $5 million company. What percentage of sales do you recommend should go back into marketing? Uh, it depends. Anywhere from three to 10%, three is on the low end. You know, a lot of people will come in and, you know, spend, you know, 10%, 5 million. That's a big number. Right. Um, and then you cut it down to 5 million, 10% is half a million right? And you cut it down to 5%, that's $250,000. Then you cut it down to 2.5%, it's $125,000 for a $5 million company. Well, at that point, are you looking right. to get 30% growth year over year? You're not going to do that spending 3%. What are you going to do with a hundred grand? I mean, you can, don't get me wrong. You can do a lot with a hundred grand, but you're not going to get 30% growth. That hundred grand is probably going to buy you your sustained growth. Hopefully you're not going to lose money, right? It's funny. Um, for years and years, the industry standard, I will never forget this. I'm talking 10 years ago, industry standard, 2%. You should never spend more than 2%. You know, there's these bigger guys started coming out. And I remember there was a big conglomerate that opened up a location in Raleigh. And I walked into their office because I saw their advertising and, and they just came out of the blue and they were advertising, you know, and they have 25 trucks and they have plumbing and they have all this other stuff. And I'm like, I, why have I never heard of these guys? Because I was a territory manager. I got to get them to sell my equipment. And I walk in and <laughs> there's a desk with a fold-out chair and a guy on a computer. So we, we became friends and he did become one of my customers. But the deal was their larger locations, other places in the country, they used that advertising here locally. And the, the homeowners here was like, well, we need to do business with this huge, large company. And this guy had one service technician. And so their motto though was 10%, 10% of everything went back into advertising. That's how they built what they, what they did. You know, now one of their locations was bringing in 94 million. That was a, a nice advertising budget. They were doing Super Bowl commercials, all kinds of stuff. Right. That's a very healthy advertising budget. They grew Marketing. very fast. And the reason they grew so fast is because they put the money in advertising. Right. I would caveat that too, you know, back to the billboards and, you know, the hyper-local strategies. You can waste a lot of money. Once you get into digital, you can have money not working right for you. I mean, we get so many people come to us and unfortunately, I don't know the suburbs of Raleigh very well. What's a suburb of Raleigh? I guess Clayton would be a small town right outside of Raleigh. Okay. So let's say there's someone in Clayton and they come to us and they're like, you know, we're small. We've got three techs and an office manager and an owner and blah, blah, blah. You know, we want to grow. And it's like, okay, well, there's four other He's in Clayton, right? And sure. nobody even in Clayton knows them, but very few people. They're only three techs. And they come and you look at their stuff and it's like, they're spending all their money in rally. Yeah. You're like, what the what are you doing? Like, you're not going to win business and rally. Right. Like, don't, you know, 
focus, hyper focus in your backyard and your right. neighborhood and get a deal with the high school, get a deal with the middle school, get a deal with every auto body shop and like get in everyone's ear and back pocket first. Then you can move every neighborhood on your way to rally. Don't, and even with digital, it works that way, right? Like you want to go compete in rally, your cost per click or your cost per lead is going to be like $20, $30. And, you know, maybe out in Clayton, since nobody's doing it, you could get it down to, I don't know, like 10 or 15, right? So spend your money there. And there's just too many people that are like, you know, I want to do business in this major city that's 60 miles away. It's like, no, dude, like, let's focus around and especially with like the hyper local aspects of digital. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. It just right. doesn't. It, you have to spend a lot of money to make these big leaps digitally into neighboring markets and neighboring areas. So it's just funny. I mean, going back, you know, who you're working with and who's in the industry, it, sometimes people just overthink it. A lot of it is really basic and some of it's even very old school. Like I said, you know, just working with shaking hands and being out in the community and, you know, being at job fairs and things like that and just having a $50, you know, a uh, step and repeat thing that you pop open and you pull out of your truck, you know, I mean, right. it's just like some things is just one customer at a time. So anyway, that's a good segue that I like to ask everybody too, through your journey on the sales and marketing side, what were some of the things that you saw that were just like, absolutely, I mean, 25 years, you've got to have a, you've got to have a story or two that were just like, man, we just wasted so much time or money on this, or we were just printing money doing, you know, this or this. You know, it was funny. There was, I know of guys that did television in small towns and was very successful. And then I know of guys that still drop in huge coin in this metro area here doing television. And, you know, I don't know what it's paying off or not, but people don't watch television anymore, right? So everybody is on tablets. for sure. Know? Yeah, right. So right. we don't do phone books anymore, right? The phone right. book advertising was huge at one time. So I know several guys that came back and said television was great, but we lost a ton of money we didn't necessarily get the business as a territory manager because we would um we would help pay them for a lot of this stuff right so as they were buying equipment we were putting some of that money away in advertising and there was this thing for a while that everybody wanted to be on television so the advice was always make sure that you get that 30 minute commercial so you can run it on your website and you can run it on there wasn't tiktok back then but you know so you can do the tiktoks and the instagrams and the facebook it's not just on the television piece so it's almost like get right. the crew in and then decide where you want to put it. That's right. probably a better spend of that money. Yes, um, definitely. I think that was a big thing that I saw just through time because cable TV, um, and I guess I kind of came in at the end of it. I'm not that old, I guess, but I just saw guys running that cable TV stuff and you know, like, man, nobody watches the TV anymore. Like, just stop, you know? Yeah. Part of that conversation earlier with the, the turf wars, if you will, I've seen it during like, uh, mostly during like sporting events, but like on the later end, you know, once you cross over like, 10, 11 o'clock or something and watching, you know, Sunday night game or Monday night game or something. And they have, again, I don't love talking about stuff. I don't really understand, but this is connected TV, you know, YouTube TV or whatever. They have all those, uh, you can tap into that a lot, a lot easier nowadays and a lot lower entry point than, you know, you can with cable and big networks and things like that. So I think that's how they're doing it. But if you're going to do that, I got to imagine on the digital side with, you know, localized placements, uh, YouTube, potentially, like you said, you know, TikTok reels and stuff like that. 
in other video placements that are that are hyper local and geofence and things like that have got to be at least targeted and better impressions, especially if you're working on that really like brand awareness, top of the funnel yeah. stuff that we we're talking about. So I will yeah. tell you a funny advertising story. Story is about two years old actually. Um, have a local contractor here, a good friend of mine, and he um, he buys his guys hoodies every winter. Right. And so, and this has been a thing going on for a year and it has this logo in the back, you know, that type of thing. I guess technician got fired, left, whatever, and turned those hoodies into the goodwill. He starts getting phone calls at eight o'clock in the morning, people screaming at him. You need to turn social media on. You're on the news, all this other stuff. Well, there was a uh, two guys that took a pickup truck and yanked an ATM out of a bank in Pennsylvania. And one of them was wearing that hoodie that the guy sold, you know, gave to the goodwill or whatever. So this guy is genius enough to wear it's like, there's no such thing as bad advertising. And he ran with that story here locally. And he, That's so funny. It's like, you know, we still got our name out there, even though we ripped out an ATM with my uh, shirt on. And I will tell you, there's one more story that a guy did advertising. So we have this thing where we have a news station with a lady that goes after everybody. So-and-so on your side. So I'm not going to name names because it's probably get back. But so this contractor... Um, a homeowner complained that they paid too much for this part of this repair that he did. And the contractor stood by him because people don't understand what it takes to really run a heating and air company. It's not cheap, right? So yes, even though you may be able to find that part for 95 bucks on the internet, it, yeah. the training, the truck, everything else, right? Right. So of course she burns him on the news. And this guy, yeah. we, we both know him. This is a mutual friend. You know him yeah. too. And you might ask him if you ever get him on a podcast, but he, um, he took that and kind of just registered. And then he, a couple of years later, did a job for a very, very wealthy guy. And the guy had like 27 systems in his house. And so they started doing the work. The guy wouldn't pay him. So he called the news station, got the hold of that lady, and used her, the relationship from before, to get the story on the news. And it was all free advertising. I mean, he was on the news two or three times to get That's updates awesome. on where the story is. And That's of course, awesome. you know, he shows up with all his gear in front of his truck every time. So, you know, you have to be smart. Use what you got. Yeah. You don't always yeah. have to pay for the television ads. You know, they may come to you. That's funny. Totally not work related, but back to the sports. Probably no one even knows what this is, but rowing. I rowed through in college and undergrad. We would go down to Florida, Tampa, specifically for spring training every year. You know, one year we go down, see this guy. <laughs> homeless person and not that this that's not funny but he'd like around where we stay in row and he's like is that guy wearing our jersey <laughs> where the heck did he get our jersey from and like for the next like couple of years we'd see the same guy and he was wearing our stuff and we're like i don't know someone left it behind or if it was right. you know stolen or whatever we're like no one no one ever had a story of like you know i gave it to the guy or my stuff was stolen or whatever but like for like a couple of years we'd see this guy every year in april for spring training and he's just walking <laughs> around tampa with our jersey and gear on repping it's like yeah i guess free advertising right That's like good What's what's this guy from Michigan, from way up north in Michigan, doing down in Florida? Like, uh, who knows? That's Maybe funny. he got it from up north. Maybe he got it from Michigan. So, Michigan. but um, anyway, what's your uh, spring circuit look like? Anything? I don't know what what you've seen, but the trade shows seem the attendance seemed way down. So um, we decided we're going to go to three three uh, events in the beginning of the year, and then we're going to make a decision on the end of the year. But uh, for January, we are in Chicago for AHRI. Uh, mm -hmm. excited about that one that's a big one i don't know if you're mm -hmm. going to that one or not mm -hmm. and then february we have a small show with sbe which is a uh, group that coaches uh, contractors they have a little event 
Uh, we're hoping to go to that. And then we're going to ACA in March. I think I'll, I'll be driving to that one. And that's another thing, starting this new job that I had to get used to. I mean, the travel is it's insane during trade show season. Yeah. So I think yeah. we did five cities in six weeks, which was insane. Was that, uh, that was over like summer and fall? No, this was actually just October and November. Oh, right. When we met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that was... Uh... That was mid-October. Yeah, we'd be home for uh, a week, and then we're on the road. You're home for three yeah, or four that weeks. Yeah, <laughs> that was wild, though. Remember that? At, uh, yes. You're, you're on a panel, and we're in um, we're oh, in Indianapolis, yeah. and uh, you guys didn't get very far into your talk, right? I mean, it was maybe well, actually, a quarter of the way in. Not to be funny, I thought he was raising his hand to ask a question, and he was having a stroke. Caesar. And, Caesar, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, this industry is the most amazing group of people, man, because- in the group, there was a volunteer volunteer uh, EMT that is a heating and air guy. There was um, a guy with some military training. You jumped in and grabbed the guy's phone, figured out what's wrong with him. Like within like five minutes, the entire situation was done and taken care of. Like yeah. the guy was fine. Yeah. He, paramedics was there. But literally, you guys jumped in, and it was so quick how everybody responded. It was very quick, very, yeah. very quick. And the guy was safe. We hated to see that. We got through most of our talk, though. I was running out of subject matter and nobody was participating. So yeah, well, that's, probably, it was, yeah, I mean, that's how it goes. I think that was the end yeah. of the day. The last end of the second show, day. Yep. It's like, yeah. The fact that the room was full, thumbs up to that. I mean, that's yep. the most important part. But yeah, participation is always hard. But that was wild. I remember I got his phone and called his daughter. And I think his wife didn't answer or something. And then like his daughter like got all emotional and was like nervous. I was kind of like shaking because I was nervous. And, you know, just like what's going to happen to the guy. But wow, that was a first. <laughs> well, I think the scary thing was he was from North Carolina. He was from Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. there by himself. He he wasn't because yeah. most of the, these guys traveled with two or three guys. To, he was he was alone. that's right. Yeah. And this whole thing happens. Nobody knows his history. Good yeah. on everybody that jumped in. They didn't want him to get on the um the plane. That was the big thing because if he has another um you know something on the plane or whatever, I've never had anyone in my immediate life family that has had chronic seizures but i guess if you're going to have another one it's going to be like short succession paramedics it's yeah it's going to be in like short short succession so you have to like they want him like him to go to the hospital and like you know just kind of be under you know watch for i don't know what the time period was and he was like no i gotta get home yeah. i gotta get on my plane that's like in an hour and i'm like yep. you know this is a grown man like i'm not i'm not making decisions <laughs> for him but like i think you you know probably should listen to everyone on this so the next couple of days after the acca president and ceo barton james uh, yeah. called and left me a, a voicemail you know just give me an update. They end up convincing him to not get on the plane right. and stay an extra day and go through all the proper checks. So, you know, all was good. That was wild. That was wild. Yeah, it was a, it was interesting end to the day for sure. Yeah. And shame on me on that note for not reaching out sooner to both of you guys. But I always feel like there's this weird thing with conferences in general right. where I love like meeting the people, but then I hate the like, salesy people that are like the day after the conference you're like yeah. you know my inbox fills up with people and it's like god damn it like yes can you be and a it's... little more like tactful and like whatever um, and they're relentless so what they do is so we're running a thermograde special right now and it's like my phone number is tied to it so then i think this is somebody calling for the giveaway and it's like hey i met you at aca and i would like to uh sell you this come on man oh boy yeah why why your phone i guess that's that makes sense like your phone 
I'm a proponent of giving out my phone number, even to our customers. I don't mind it. That just comes from, you know, before HVAC kind of be a territory manager, everybody has my phone and I sift through phone calls. I, I mean, I don't answer on the spot every time, leave me a message, but I want our customers to feel like they can reach me at any time and I can help with any issue they may have. So that's a big part of why we do that. In today's day and age with remote workforces and everything, it's like, it's hard to get in touch with people. I mean, this is a uh, a segue here, but on our end, on the marketing side, we have a problem getting in touch with people. The industry, everybody's out on sales calls. Very few people in this industry use email. Right. So it's actually a problem. And sometimes they talk to so many darn people that like, they don't know who you are. And it's like, right. dude, you're the one that reached out to me. I'm, I'm just trying to do my job. And there's, there's some, sometimes it goes back and forth and you're in sales too. So you can appreciate this a little bit, but sometimes I'm like, you know what the hell with it did this the other day where it was like following up with someone. And it's like, I called and it ended up being called back and it ended up being the wife of the owner. And she doesn't even work in the office. I'm like, that's really weird. No, she's like, we need help with our marketing, whatever. It's like, well, why'd you call in the office? I'm like, all right, well, whatever. Here's the message. You reached out to me. You know, I can tell from the outside looking in, everything's a mess and you need a ton of help. Here's my number. Here's what we can help you with. Give it to the missus. And if she wants to call me, here it is. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've always been a proponent of saying, if you're going to start an HVAC business, part of that licensing needs to be business training. And part of the business training needs to be the marketing piece as well, because these guys, you know, they're really good at what they do, which is not marketing and not always running a business, right? So they're good at customer service and they're good at fixing units and all that type of stuff. They're not necessarily the guys that's going to sit down and, and figure out a marketing strategy around. They normally hire it. And, and that's why it's so great that you guys are focusing on this industry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it happens now it's getting very interesting too, because you're getting a lot of new people involved because of all the, the uptick over the last five years with COVID and, and just the space moving in the direction, transactionally, mergers, acquisitions, private equity, whatever. But I mean, we get a lot of people, a lot of clients that are ex-bankers that have come in yeah. and bought businesses and they understand the financial fundamentals and they're learning the trade, but they still don't know anything about marketing, right? But I love working with those type of people because it's very, you know, they're like, here's your piece, marketing. Here's my piece, finance. They're very smart in how they're coming in operating. It's good and bad because they're almost, some of them are a little too hands-off um, where it's like, you know, don't want to have reporting calls, don't want to talk about strategy or, you know, we need some feedback on promotions or whatever. And it's like, I don't know, you do whatever and just let me know. It's like, all right, like that's nice, but also can be dangerous. <laughs> the interesting thing was about this private equity piece that happened. It was so almost sudden coming out of COVID, right? So then you find out guys are getting paid 20 times. The industry standard used to be, I think five or six times revenue is what you would get for your business. And we're hearing staggering numbers coming out of COVID, but what it did, and I, in my opinion, it, it's bringing the market up a little bit. So if you're a guy with a heating and air conditioning company in the Raleigh-Durham area, 
and you're losing to the smaller guy constantly that is not doing the marketing, that isn't doing all that stuff because he's always the lowest guy in the door. Well, with the private equity coming in and buying up these companies, those banking kind of guys, they are not given systems away. They're not giving service or work away like it was in the market. So my feeling is with those guys coming into the market, everything has been elevated a little bit. Now they there sense. is proper marketing going on. You know, there is oh, yeah. um, guys putting up billboards. There is radio oh, yeah. and TV ads, you know. It's, it's pretty interesting to me. I think it's good that we have this influx of outside business people coming into the industry. Yeah, it definitely raises the bar. I mean, those guys, those operators, well, depending on the company, you know, if group buys, they bring in an operator, assign an operator. The operator is you know, responsible for reviewing the business, overhauling the business, adjusting operational things, squeezing out money and inefficiencies, right? And that might be changing you know, marketing. It might be squeezing your call center, your CSRs, your dispatch, whatever inventory, right? Like right. looking for efficiencies there. And then what are you left with? More money to put in the right places, right? To get that return on investment and to, you know, look at those uh, KPIs, cost per lead, cost per acquisition, you know, and really juice the business. I forget where you're at. Uh, you're, in, you're in North Carolina. Raleigh, North Carolina, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is Raleigh. Okay. And um, I'm in Cincinnati. There's like a, a war going on, man like the billboard spend. I mean, it's, you cannot drive down a highway without seeing just billboard after billboard after billboard. There's two that are owned by home services group. There's one that's owned by private equity. And then another one that has not transacted yet or not done anything. So they're fighting. I don't know what the major highway in Raleigh is, but like, we've got like I-75, bam. And like, that space is not cheap. No. <laughs> like, it's yeah. got a lot of traffic. <laughs> and I've always wondered about that. And you being kind of the marketing guru can kind of help set me straight. So I'm going to go as a heating and air guy, and I'm going to pay all this money for a billboard on a highway like that with most people that doesn't live in my area. And I get that there's traffic in the afternoon and the morning. I get all that. But is that really being spent properly, right? So you get traffic yeah. running you know, like you said, through there going down to Florida, does it, is it really the eyeballs that I want? If I have more than one location, sure. Right. Right. We're strictly on the digital side, but my opinion to anyone on this is it has its place. You know, if you're, you know, under 5 million, you know, small neighborhood, whatever um, group, no, like you're not, you're not there right. yet. Maybe you can buy a space on a baseball field or, you know, something like that for those impressions, but it has its place. It just depends on where you are in your business and going into the 20, 30, 40, 50 million annual revenue numbers. You're at the point in your strategy where impressions have an impact and that you're working on, you're working on your brand, right? At that right. point in time and brand impressions. And it's like, why do TV commercials work? You know, it's, it's brand awareness and brand impressions. And you do need to be at the bottom of the funnel in terms of like, you know, working on just converting, converting, converting like crazy. But at that point, you've got money to spend. You're just trying to bring in more eyeballs that right. actually look for you and potentially will look for your brand instead of your service. You know, it just, it depends where you are in your company and your journey, but it definitely works. You don't have, again, I'm not in this space, but you don't have the digital the ways to digitally measure it like you do digital, but a lot of times you can tell in terms of like how this stuff is working on a more 
macro quarterly biannual sort of level like what's my spend what what are what people are coming in you know and just maintaining revenues and sales at that point in time so and we have we have a bunch of groups too i'm sure it's there in, in rally and the the surrounding suburbs that we have like uh off highway billboards you know, yeah. you get like the rural roads and stuff like right. that, which are way, 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 way cheaper. But, you know, again, same sort of impression, but, you know, maybe you're spending high end, maybe like five grand a billboard, low end, you know, you could probably get those things for like a thousand bucks or something. And it, and it's all part of this, like the strategy of how you're, you're trying to grow too. Like if you're trying to grow from the North suburbs of Raleigh to the South suburbs to the East suburbs to the West suburbs, how are you sprinkling yourself out there? You know, digital works, but at some point you don't have any neighborhood juice at that point in time where you can like go to, you know, hyper-local strategies where you can go to, again, like chamber of commerces and rotary clubs and high schools and uh, bakeries and those type of things to work super, super hyper-local and spend, you know, dollars for sponsorships and, you know, church bulletins and, you know, really hyper-local stuff. It's harder to do because you need that like neighborhood level relationship to, you know, go out and reach out to the high school and like go out and reach out to the Rotary Club and all that stuff. Just to close this out, the point is, is like the billboard is it's an easier, less personal way to get into that you know, that sort of like hyper local right. versus that, you know, startup where if you're like the startup HVAC guy, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to, I mean, I say this all the time, go to your kid's high school, go to whatever neighborhood you're in and go do a deal with the baseball team, go do a deal with the PTO. It's going to cost you nothing, right. maybe a couple thousand bucks for a whole year of like, you know, your logo in the outfield or on the score scoreboard or something like that. It takes work, but like, it's great. I mean, it's a great way to start. The the awesome byproduct from that is you can start creating your own workforce out of that, right? So you start right. sponsoring youth, and then you can really start getting back into that conversation about getting the youth into this industry. Um, but like just to go into the rugby teams, maybe just <laughs> we'll do it already. <laughs> but you know, just to <laughs> kind of fundraise, that... you probably got a holiday fundraiser coming up, right? <laughs> yeah. You're reading my mind. One more point on the billboard thing, though, is. You know, you can spend $5,000 on that billboard. However, you have 20 vehicles sitting in your yard that if you spend $2,500 a piece and wrap them properly, then that is your billboard. Now, right. getting your technicians not to drive like, you know, banshees, <laughs> there's that. I just read, I uh, can't remember where I read that. I was reading the, a review of someone complaining about that. I think it was someone's Google review and it was like, it was exactly that. It was like, I love this company, but driver, you know, five six one you know i see him around our neighborhood all the time and he drives like a you know complete right. you know what hire these guys but make sure you don't give that driver because it's gonna like run over a kid or something anyway all right well cool um well great having you and uh thanks again and we'll talk again soon 